for sake. Can you see? Good idea. Ma'am, just a real quick question for you. Do you mind being in our video? Yeah, I do. You do, you do mind. Sir, I'm Nick. I pledge allegiance to the flag. One nation. Under God. Individual. With the liberty and the justice for all. Do you know what's written on the penny? In God we trust. And do you? Why sure. In God we trust. We certainly do. In God we trust, do we not? Well, at least I do. So we're here at Union Station? Yeah. Cool. What is your stance on foreign policy? Loving that beard. Thank you. <laughs> what are the top two most important issues for you when voting? I'm not really big on politics, but I would like to see more defense of the Constitution. One of the bigger issues is Trump's hair right off the bat, right? <laughs> it's gotta be fixed, we gotta get to the bottom of this. Nothing that a good hairdresser can work on. Do you like his hair, though? No, nobody likes his hair. Is this a good one? I like that. <laughs> Photographer here. <laughs> we'll race you guys down the stairs. Yes! Packers fan? Uh, this is Georgia. Georgia is located just south of DC. I don't think that's geographically correct. Where is Georgia? Right above Florida. Oh, so it's just south of DC. How much do your spiritual beliefs influence your political beliefs? What we believe about God and about how he has made the world affects the way that we see the world. So mm -hmm. it definitely affects your worldview, so it's going to affect the way you vote. I would say my spiritual values influence basically all decisions I make. Shake my hand. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Goodbye. And the home of the Yes. I'm gonna miss Nick. I mean, that is just, uh, I love his humor and what he does, his boldness. And it adds some uh, lightness to a very serious series. And uh, I just have enjoyed the gift that he has. Uh, it's interesting, a little political update. Um, here we are with this last, well, I'll just give you the update. Of course, there was a leak from someone, a person that had power. And that leak went to someone else. And of course, that person in power shared it with high-ranking officials who, with great danger of losing their great name and with great danger of losing their position of power, um, some would even say great danger of losing their life, they let that insider information out um, and they got it to the people in power. And then a reversal took place. The person that was certain to be in power and certain to have the inside track all of a sudden started to fall out of favor. And the person that was certain to be on the outside and definitely not have any favor all of a sudden started to gain favor. And it's almost as if there was a role reversal and things change in a moment all from a leak. And it's amazing how relevant the book of Esther is to today. Have you ever realized that? How many know, oh, what did you think I was talking about right there? 
Oh, that was the book of Esther. I was just kind of giving you a political update from the... History repeats itself, doesn't it? Wow. I couldn't believe that when I read Esther. And I was like, how crazy that that lines up almost exactly like today. But anyways... um, There's been some incredible updates. Of course, last week we prayed for a surprise that would happen, uh, an amazing godly surprise. I'm not sure that it happened. Um, Of course, we've seen WikiLeaks and other relevant things that have happened and different things and accusations against those people in power, both of the candidates. Um, I'm not sure of all the facts that have been leaked or all the facts that are talked about or all the facts that are reported or the really that's going on, but I I do believe this, that there have been some things that have been talked about with both candidates that are deeply troubling, that are deeply troubling. There are some things that uh, I had never even heard of that were talked about uh, with, with the WikiLeaks and whatnot. And again, I'm not certain of the accuracy of these things and the severity of these things, but I will tell you this, Um, It does remind us, according to the book of Esther and according to what we see in the political scene today, that whoever has the leader's ear has a great uh, degree of power. Whoever has the leader's ear has a great degree of power because when you're whispering into a leader's ear, whether you're uh, Mordecai or Haman, whether you're whispering into their ear, you have an ability to turn a leader by the things you say, whether you're Esther speaking into something. And so I think we should take a look at the people that have the ears of the leaders that we are electing. And we should say, who do they surround themselves with? Now, I want to dig in and Um, let you know that this is the last of the series. Um, Probably next week I'll have to do a a now what statement. How many know what I'm talking about? Like, now what? (laughs) You know, uh, uh, so it's it's the election that will not end. But I do promise you the sermon won't be on it. I am starting a three-part series on love, and that is not a joke. I I think we're going to need it after that. And uh, so we will start a three-part series on love. Um, I will answer the biggest concern that's been coming to me in this series. People have said, uh, you know, are you saying we shouldn't vote? Matter of fact, we have people complaining about our signs out, you know, none of the above. And they're like mad. People that don't go to our church, like, don't say that. And again, if you realize I am for you voting, I just believe that uh, it's a right to vote. You don't have to tell who you vote for. But I believe as a believer, you really should vote. Um, there have been some great religious leaders. They say, is it okay if I don't vote? And they said, probably not. You really should vote. It's part of your citizenship. It's part of what God, you know, asks us to be active, to be involved, to give to Caesar what is Caesar's. We have this right. And so we are for you voting. Uh, None of the above has not been an option. I, I will address the second biggest concern, which people have said over and over again. What about other candidates? Again, I believe there are other candidates that people can vote for. I don't believe that any of those candidates have the traction to uh, unseat either Trump or Clinton. I don't believe that. And so I believe that those are the two choices. One of those two will be our president. Again, as a matter of conscience, if people are saying, I cannot vote for either, uh, that's between you and God, and you should pray about it and vote accordingly, okay? But I'm just telling you, I think one of those two will be our president, and so I would like to weigh in on voting for which really, I'm going to say, would be the lesser evil of the one that I think would do the least damage. Uh, And I don't think, again, with the lack of signs and the lack of support that we see in our communities, that people are saying, I'm really for this person. I think it's more I'm against that more than I am that. And so I will vote there. And 
I want to take us to a higher ground and look at the issues that should weigh on every believer. And I believe that this is for this election and every election after this, okay? So these issues, these things that I'm going to point out as believers that should weigh on our heart aren't just specific here. So this is pastoring for all the different um, uh, elections that would come our way. There are seven things that we're going to look at, and time will permit us. We're going to take the time to get through this. Um, they come from the National Association of Evangelicals. They uh, did an article on this talking about um, issues that should weigh on a believer's heart. Now, who are the National Association of Evangelicals? Well, it's uh, Protestant denominations. Uh, many of them are a part of it. They're familiar names. Baptists. There's Baptists in it. Presbyterians, Methodists, the Assemblies of God. There's Nazarene churches that are in it. Foursquare, Pentecostal. The Salvation Army is part of this, okay? So we're talking more mainstream, all right? But we're not talking about a marginalized group that's off on the side. And so when we look at this, these are our platform issues that are part of the platform of candidates. And they're saying that these should weigh on your heart. They're really part of the three-legged stool that we should look at in today's uh, election and any election that's facing us. Looking at the person, uh, looking at the process of the United States, and then looking at the platform, okay? And so we're going to look at this. And I want to let you know that our founders were brilliant when they put into uh, play uh, the Constitution, when they put in the, the process and they put this in play and they said, um, we're going to protect you from the evil that is in your heart. We're going to protect you from the evil that is there. And there's the person, the process, and the platform. And I want to let you know this. There's always been flawed people that lead our country. Always. They are always flawed people that are leading our country. And I will tell you this. It's sad. But as I research this, uh, and I researched about our government and some of the people that have been president, I want to let you know that Trump and Hillary are nowhere near the worst. Okay, you'd say, you got to be kidding me. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to prove it right now. Grover Cleveland was accused of raping a woman and then putting her in an insane asylum and having her child that he fathered uh, put up for adoption and sent to another family. All right, he was the president of the United States, not only once, but then when he didn't win, he was elected a second time. Grover Cleveland. Grover Cleveland married his best friend's daughter odd, really odd when you consider that he was there for her birth. She was 27 years younger than him. She became the youngest first lady in the United States. So how many are thinking like Grover Cleveland, that bad, that, that if we can survive Grover, Grover Cleveland, we can make it people. I mean, we can make it. And the scary thing is I'm related to that guy. I mean, that's really scary. My mom has a medal that I'm sure she's going to burn after this sermon that talks about our family being related to him, but God can bring you a long way from your roots. <laughs> All right, Andrew Jackson was president of the United States and was part of the greatest mass genocide of American Indians. He crashed the economy just to help his special interests. Think about that. And we, so he crashed the economy and he refused to enforce court decisions. So there have always been flawed people that have led our country. Sometimes we cover for them. We have bias and we don't want to see their flaws, but we've always had flawed people. So as we look at the people that we elect, they are flawed. They are just as flawed this year. They will not be our worst, but they are giving it a good run. All right, that's all I'm saying. 
Now there's the process. Again, this is not a history class. Trust me, we are getting to the Bible. But I'm laying the foundation. There's the process. There are three branches. The, our founders were brilliant in having three branches that would limit the power of any one uh, branch. You know, we got, have the executive, the legislative, and the judicial and it was never meant for a king to lead us. And it was like, let's keep each other on track. And I want to point this out very clear because this does weigh on us as we have this election right now. We are part of a democratic republic. Okay, again, you feel like it's a history lesson. Trust me, we're going to get there. We are part of a democratic republic. What does that mean? The people get to vote for their leaders that run this republic. All right, we are not a democracy in the fact that the people get to vote on everything. We are a democratic republic where the people get to vote for our leaders that obey the things in the republic, and that's where the Constitution comes into play. Our founders said, we know the evil that's in your heart, so we are going to right now make a Constitution and say that everybody has to align with this. This will keep you from veering away and getting down the evil road. And they said, the, really, the Constitution was something that was not a living document that could be changed. It was a guiding document that should be followed. Okay. Now, this is important. You think about it. even the president has to get up and say, I'll defend the Constitution. I'll defend it when they get it inaugurated. So it's, there it is at the inauguration. All right? Now, I want to let you know this is where it ties over to the church. In, the, in our country, the Constitution is the denominator. Everything lines up with that. It divides everything. Everything goes back to the Constitution. For the follower of Jesus Christ, everything has to go back to the Bible. The Bible has to be our denominator. Okay, it can't be the numerator. It can't be like what we divide, divide into. It's what is the denominator. And so if you, if again, I wasn't that amazing at math. That's more my wife's gift, all right? But I get this. If we put the Bible up there and culture is the denominator, you can turn Jesus into anything you want him to be. That's where recent women speakers that have just said, well, I think this, and, and it doesn't matter what the Bible has to say. Where previous men speakers, uh, others that have said love wins, and think, they've said, you know what, I'm going to change it, and the Bible is no longer the denominator. Culture, current happenings are the denominator, and the Bible gets moved up to the numerator, and we divide it by what's going on in culture, and we can make Jesus anything we want him to be that way. But this church believes that Jesus, that his word, that's the denominator. That's the thing that everything gets divided by. That's the thing that everything has to funnel through. And that's our, our filter, if you will. It's the word of God. And so it's very important for us to realize this, that um, as we look at what the parties want to do, uh, some that are, we are voting for in Senate races, in House races, in president, the presidency, um, are saying we think that's a living, breathing document. It can be changed. It's not something that should rule and guide us. It's something that should be just modified constantly and changed and tweaked and even uh, discarded in some ways. So we should pay attention to this. Now, then we get to this. We have the person, the process, and the platform. This is where the church has to weigh in. These are the things that should weigh heavily on a believer. These are the big sevens, and they come from the NAE. Um, again, there was an article called For the Health of a Nation. And if you want, you can actually read the entire article. 
but it comes from the NAE of which we are a part of, all right? Um, and it says, these are the things that should weigh on the mind of a believer when you go to vote. Religious freedom, family life and children, sanctity of human life, the poor and vulnerable, human rights, peace and re to restrain uh, violence, and creation care. These are the things that should weigh on the mind of a believer. There's some other things that didn't make the cut. If you notice, they didn't say taxes. If you notice, they didn't say national debt, even though it's at $20 trillion. That's hard to fathom. Robert Morris said it recently in a sermon on the election. He said, I guarantee you none of the people in Washington, D.C. are leaving their own children great personal debt in their own family life. Why do they want to leave it to us in our country? We need to fix it. But it doesn't make it. On the NAE, they're like, well, that's, that's another day. That's another list. So I'm going to start with these uh, platforms and I'm going to start with what I would call the percentage platforms. And what do I mean by that? I think wherever you find yourself in whatever party you may have aligned with, and remember we align with our Lord and Savior more than a party, I would call these percentage platforms. These would be the least controversial because they're percentages. Again, and I'll start with this. One of the things in the platform is the poor and vulnerable. And I believe as followers of Jesus Christ, by teaching, by his parables, Jesus taught us that the needy, we're our neighbors, that our neighbors needed to be cared for, that we needed to take care of the poor. We need to do something. But I call this a percentage issue because nobody says like, throw away the poor. Nobody says, but they say, here's how we should help the poor. And although we uh, may disagree in the policies, everyone is for helping the poor. And it's a matter of percentages. Maybe one party wants to give 80%. Maybe one party wants to give 100%. But again, it's percentages, but there are divisions there. But let's look at how this weighs on the believer on this percentage issue. The poor and vulnerable, uh, we are supposed to uh, realize that the Bible teaches us not to oppress the poor. Proverbs 22, 22 says, do not exploit the poor because they are poor and do not crush the needy in court. We should be fair to people, whether they're rich or poor. We need to create a just and righteous society. We realize that we may not be all equal in income, but we need to be equal in opportunity. And we need to make sure that everyone has opportunity to move forward. We need to fight against generational poverty. Generational poverty is not a beautiful thing to celebrate that we take care of the poor year after year after year after year and they stay in poverty and generational poverty. Our, we, the Bible wants us to help people lift up to lift them up and to help them to do what they were created to do in God's image. And when the, the human soul comes alive, when they're able to build, as we talked about, uh, that God is a builder, that he put it within us that DNA to give, to add, to go, and to do that. I think about some of the inner city ministries that we support, and they're like, help us help these people get jobs. Please don't just give us money. Help us to help them to lift up and to become a participant in this. The Bible calls us to personally give to the poor. We are to personally give to the poor. Proverbs 19, 17 says, whoever is kind to the poor lends to the Lord and he will reward them for what they've done. And here's what I would say, your heart and your hands and your money should work together. The follower of Jesus Christ should have your heart, your hands and your wallet working together. It seems like previous generations wanted their heart and their wallet to work and they're like, go ahead, here you go, take care of it. And now this generation wants their heart and their hands to be involved with someone else's money, you know. But I think if we could have a combo of heart, hands 
and money combined together. That's what the Bible is teaching us to do. And the church should be active in this. The church should be going after this. And we should say we believe in helping the poor and vulnerable. So that should weigh on us when we vote. The human rights. Human rights. I love our Constitution. We hold these truths to be self-evident. That all men are created equal. That they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights. That among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And I want to point out a key word there is the word creator. Our founders thought and realized this, that we are given what we have by our creator. That we have a creator that created this earth, that created us. If you don't have a creator, I don't know how it's possible to have equal rights and human rights. I don't know how that happens. Because people can say, well, we're better than you and we're smarter than you and we're this. But everyone has these rights given to us by our Lord, by our God, and he's given us these rights. Our churches have a a special responsibility to model proper race relationships and saying that prejudice and racism have no place in the church. And we should say, you know what, we want to model the right relationships that are there. We should reward governments that, that stand up for human rights. And we should not reward governments that don't stand up for human rights. And we should look at our leaders and say, what's going on when a, when a country kills Christians? We should say that to our leaders, like, wait a minute, they're, they're made in the image of God. They have rights. They have, they're given to them by their creator, not even by the United States, but by the creator. We want to save those people. And we should not reward or take any money or any favors from these places that would kill Christians. We defend the human right, and I want to speak this very clearly. As Christians, we need to defend the human right that people can change their religion. People should not be beheaded because they change their religion. People should have the freedom to hear the gospel. You want to know the greatest human right? To hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. To have an opportunity to respond because God has placed within everyone the capacity to respond to a loving Savior. And so we should say uh, to our leaders, we want to defend human rights and countries that kill people for converting to Christianity should be not rewarded. But through sanctions and other means, they should be told these are great atrocities that should not be tolerated. But we should be saying we stand for those. We stand for those that want to ask Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And I would say this to the next generation that are all very cause-driven. And again, I love that passion. You want an amazing cause to stand for that may not be very popular? Start fighting on behalf of those people that are losing their lives because they want to give their life to Jesus Christ. Start advocating for those people that are in those countries that are losing their very lives and say there's a cause of human rights. Peacemaking. Matthew 5, 9 says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. We look forward to peace with God. But until then, within the hearts of men and women, there's evil. There's evil. And so there's war. And so we are saying as believers, we are peacemakers. We desire to be at peace as much as it depends on us to be at peace with everyone. We want to protect the peace. We would see war as only a means to restore peace that has been stolen by someone else, not for national interests. We follow the classical just war principle. And we are for peace. We protect it. We defend it. And we would even fight to restore the peace. And I want to say thank you to our military. I thank God that we live in a country that has a military that defends peace. Thank you so much. 
Another one, creation care. Again, a percentage issue. I want to reaffirm that we worship our creator and not creation. But the Bible tells us as followers of Jesus Christ that we need to take care of this place. Genesis 2.15, but the Lord took the man out and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. There's something about this. The Bible talks about those that take care of their animals even. And that that's a good person, a kind person, takes care of their animals. There's something about creation care. We know that God will restore everything that is broken. Romans 8 says that this earth is broken. It's groaning to be restored. And we're to be good stewards of this. So these are four percentage issues. And we may have strong opinions on them. But again, usually it's a matter of of percentages, we're going down the same road, if you will, regardless of political party. These are deeply, um, these are things that should move the heart of the believer. But the next three are deeply held beliefs. And on these three, in many cases, the people we vote for will be on opposite sides. It didn't always, it wasn't always that way, that they were on opposite sides. But as I speak about these three, I realize these are much more controversial. But I want to jump into it as your pastor. Again, from the National Association of Evangelicals. We defend the sanctity of human life. And I realize that this is not to be taken lightly. I realize it's a very sensitive issue. And I'm very impassioned about this. But we are made in his image and we have dignity. Genesis 1.27 says, So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And I want to read this, in the, and because the Bible reveals God's calling and care of persons before they are born, the preborn share in this dignity. That comes from the NAE. I believe that. Psalm 139.13 says, For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. Jeremiah 1.5 says, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. This should weigh on our heart. Abortion, euthanasia, human experimentation are opposed by the Bible. And I want to let you know that our church is unapologetically pro-life. I love, I love that we support groups like Save the Storks. I love that we don't have to pick it in anger, but we can say in love there's a better alternative. I love that we say we want to care for your unborn baby and, and we have loving families that would love to adopt your child. I believe, again, these issues are either or. They're not percentages. An aborted baby has been aborted. The life has been terminated. I believe we made a mistake in 1973. I really believe that as a country and I believe our conscience is weighing on us and both parties understand this, but common sense cannot prevail. There's no admission that sex selection abortions are evil. Those are evil to say that that's not the sex that we desire, abort that baby. There's no admission by some in politics to say that third trimester abortions, that's just wrong. That baby is viable. That baby could survive. And, and, and common sense says, give that ground. But there's a digging in on many politicians where they say, I can't give an inch. I cannot admit this. I believe that we've got to say, God, help us as a country that we'd say life is precious. I don't think we can reverse this at this current moment, but I will tell you this as your pastor, I have issued a protest vote on this very thing. And again, I will cross lines on this one because I just feel that I want that to be heard, that I value life. 
I value life. And I love what Robert Morris says. It's very sobering. He said, there was only one Einstein. There was only one Louis Pasteur. There was only one Martin Luther King Jr. What if we have aborted the one person that could have cured cancer? There's only one. Every life is precious. Every life matters. And I believe that the Bible teaches that life begins at conception. And I don't have time to go into this, but there was an amazing article called The Spark of Life. Northwestern University found this. Again, this was not experimentation. They just took the egg and not the sperm, but they took the egg and then proteins and acids that were similar to the sperm and they united them. Again, life was not created, but it was simulated through proteins and acids. And Northwestern University found this out that at the moment of conception, there is a burst of light that takes place. A burst of light. And it shocked them that at the moment of conception, boom, there was a burst of light. And I don't care if people are talking evolution or creation, they're all talking about a burst of light that happens at the start of creation. And I think this, science is showing us that that burst of light says, that spark says there's life. There is more than a spark in your mom and dad's eye. There was the spark of life and conception that happened that was beautiful. And God said, let there be life. Let there be light. And as I look at that, I say, God, help us to stand up. This one should weigh upon our heart. Now, moving on from you little sparkies, uh, we'll move on. <laughs> Another controversial one, family life and children. I mean, government cannot assure good families. They cannot, but they are important to the believer. So many scriptures, we talked about this in our Family 30 series. Our country used to give tax breaks to anyone that could have a child or bring a child to America. In 1650, the state of New York said you would get one year tax-free if you had a child, if you brought your child from another country, if you brought somebody else's kid from another country. Why? Because the country needed to continue. It needed citizens. It needed citizens. They were for the family, but deeper than that. The Bible is for marriages to produce children and model this procreation. I want to let you know that. Genesis 2, 24 says, this is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife and they become one flesh. And I want to let you know this. Our church only performs one flesh unions, male, female. And the New Testament, and the New Testament restricts these unions to monogamy and it also restricts it to same faith in 1 Corinthians 7. I want to let you know, again, denominator, numerator. If you have Jesus as your numerator and he's up here and culture can dictate, again, you can get the Bible to say anything you want it to say if you divide it by current culture. But if you look at the Bible as the denominator, this is something that we have to stand for. This is something that we have to stand for. And we may face greater persecution for this. Eventually, someday, churches like ours may lose their tax-exempt status over this very issue. Again, I'm not prohibiting people from doing things. I'm just saying I don't want to participate in it. And if I don't participate, then I'm looking at punishment simply for not wanting to participate in something that I have not even prohibited that our government says is legal. I'm just asking to not have to participate because I believe the Bible is the denominator. But if it causes our tax exempt status to go away, if it causes greater persecution, and discrimination, I, I welcome that, not with joy, 
but with deep faith that says God is in control and we're moving forward. And again, I'm so passionate about marriage because I believe marriage is God's idea. And I believe today, the male-female marriage, the biblical marriage that we see is God's icon. He created marriage. It's his icon. He said, I wanted marriage to be a living example of how much Jesus loves the church. And I wanted you to live it out there so you could see how much Jesus loves the church. And so I say this, it's his icon, and I'm upset that he's lost his icon. The church has lost its icon there. If if Samsung Galaxy 7 all of a sudden started putting Apple's logo on their phones, how many think Apple would get upset? They'd be like, our phones don't light on fire yet. I mean, you know, but our phones don't light on fire. Don't put our logo on your thing. That's not what our thing is. Our thing is Apple. And so they would defend their icon And I would say that we want to stand and say, Lord, we want to defend your icon. This is how much you love the church. Lastly, and no less important, actually, I think it's the greatest important, religious freedom. The believers should have this way upon their heart when they go to vote. Again, this election, any election, all seven of these, this is not just specific to this election. This article was written in 2004, okay? These seven things that theologians and great leaders from many different denominations weighed in on said religious freedom. Religious freedom should weigh deeply. They put it as the very first thing in a weighted way. You look at Genesis. We are created to worship God. You look at the Ten Commandments. It's about worship. The first commandment is to have no other gods before him and to worship him. You look at the Israelites when they were slaves. As much as we hate slavery... And as much as everything is about ending human trafficking and slavery, God saw his people in Egypt and he he hated that they were slaves, but he wanted them set free to worship them, worship him. In Exodus 8.1, then the Lord said to Moses, go to Pharaoh and say to him, this is what the Lord says, let my people go so they may worship me. We believe in freedom of religion and that should weigh upon our heart. God has ordained two coexisting entities, the church and government, with their specific responsibilities. In Acts 18, there's a case that the church has, and it's brought before the leader in a a um, uh, non-free society. And they still were like, that's a church issue. Deal with it yourself. We don't want to weigh in on that. That's a great stance to have. In the USA, the, the First Amendment It really talks about that there would be no law respecting an establishment of religion, ensuring that there is no prohibition on the free exercise of religion before, you know, freedom of press, freedom of... It's like, we want you to have the right to worship before... I mean, so when you realize this, when you realize this, that we have to have the right to exercise our worship and to be able to do this, if they tell us to stay in the building, that's not the free exercise of our religion. How many know Jesus has left the building? The building is nothing more than a place that holds us and keeps winter out and all the other elements. It's just a building. We are the church. And when we practice our religion, we go out into all the world. We go and make disciples. And even in the book of Acts, when they were told, don't preach anymore, stop this. You can't do that anymore. He said, we If we have to obey God or you, we're obeying God and we're going to keep preaching. You could throw us in jail. You could do whatever you want, but we have to obey God. We want to worship God. We want to do what he calls us to do. So this should weigh upon our heart. And any leader at any local level, at any state level, at any national level that wants to restrict that freedom of religion is one that should weigh deep. We should look at that and deeply weigh that. That should be an issue that should weigh on us. And I close with this. 
We do not have a donkey on our chest. We do not have an elephant on our chest, but we clearly have the cross of Jesus Christ on our chest. I pray that we'd pray over the issues. We'd wrestle with the issues. We hear God's voice. We'd look at our leaders and say, elevate us, lead us up, and may God help us right now. And as we've done in every week of this series, we close with prayer. I ask you to pray. I ask you to pray for our nation. I ask you to pray for our local leadership. I ask you to pray for the church. I ask you to pray for your pastor and all that we stand for as elders in this church. The church is going forward. God is in control. We will live with it either way. We will live with whatever comes down the road. But right now there's an opportunity to vote and I'm praying that we'll pray, look at the issues, weigh in, vote, and do what God tells us to do. That's all I'm asking. So God, I just pray right now that you'd help us to look at this, to look at the issues that weigh deeply on our heart, that align with the word. Again, not things about what is our position on Puerto Rico, not things about what is our position about Hong Kong versus China. These are things that are positions that align with the word of God, that align with what is, is real to us, our worship, human life, creation care, human rights, the poor and the vulnerable, all the different things that we talked about, Lord, they're there. And so we pray about it. We weigh it. We look at not a party allegiance, but a faith allegiance. May we elevate above our history. May we elevate above our culture. May we elevate above, we've always done it that way. And may we go to every election in this free country that we have and say, Lord, help us to do things that align with your word. Help us to express our faith in the polling place. And then after that, God, I pray that we'd express our faith and live our faith, not be ashamed of our faith. The election will happen in a day. The policies will come over years, but we are living for eternity. We are living for eternity. We say, God, help us to live for eternity, to make a difference for eternity and to build the kingdom of God. Thank you, Lord. Blessing upon us, blessing upon this country, blessing upon your church even greater than that. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen, amen.